Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, and schmoopies. Hi. I read an article recently, and the title was 10 Things You Didn't Know Were Depression. And at the top of that list is unexplained aches and pains. Depression hurts. It is physical and painful, admittedly so. Before I even delve into this topic, I want to offer you a trigger warning and mention ahead of time that suicidal ideations are discussed very openly and generously and take the opportunity to share with you the number to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It is 1-800-273-8255. I took that article and shared it on Facebook, on my personal Facebook page. And right away, a friend commented, and I quote, I can speak on depression in depth. I am bipolar and manic depressive. Needless to say, he is our conversation partner today. What the fuckery is bipolar and manic depression? Well, we're about to find out. I'm Nadege August, your host. If this is your first time, welcome. And hit that subscribe button while you're at it so you can become an automatic schmoopy. What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss. Our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth whether we accept them or not. And if in that process we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you for being curious, open, and willing. In that vein today, our my guest, our guest is Michael A. Shepard. Now, Michael is currently the co-artistic director of a theater in Los Angeles, a multiple award-winning theater, Celebration Theater. He's also a director and an actor who has garnered several LADCC nominations and ovation. He has won an NAACP or NAACP uh, theater award. I'm never quite sure how to say that. Um, for the play Intimate Apparel. Michael has appeared on Broadway and on screen. His credits are numerous. So you may recognize him from shows like Hot in Cleveland, Monk, Criminal Minds, Soul Man, just to name a few. And Michael is here today because he is sharing a very personal life challenge. 
And the reason why I really wanted to have him on as a conversation partner is, well, at the time of this recording, recording, this is the month of May, and it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, interesting side note, Mental Health Awareness Month started in 1949, so it's been around for a while. And um, it, it is, every year it has a theme, and the theme this year, I believe, are tools to thrive. And that becomes the crux of, in the latter part of my conversation with Michael, what I ask him are ways for those of us who know someone, what we can do. And I'm going to say this now without blowing it because he'll explain it better than I am. The words, what do you need? I am here for you, are incredibly powerful. And I feel that it is very important at this time of social distancing and isolation where our worlds have been rocked. People are either accelerating relationships or accelerating breakups are disappearing. It's just, whew, we need tools to thrive indeed. Michael, to me, is also exemplary and that he is proof that we can learn to live with any obstacles or challenges that we are faced with. Guys, you will notice the distortion in the quality of the recording because I'm practicing social distancing and obviously I can no longer be with my guest in the same space. I hope you can forgive that and uh, and bear with me as we figure this thing out together. Hi, Michael. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Ooh, welcome. I am super excited to be on what the fuckery. Yeah. <laughs> don't you just love? Don't you just love saying that? You no, know, it's so cool. It's just like so. What the fuckery? <laughs> yes, Michael, what happen. the fuckery is being bipolar and manic depressive? You know what? Let me just tell you this. It is a lot of deep breaths. It is a lot of sometimes sitting in the quiet and trying to figure out what your next move is. A lot of it's just sitting in the quiet, not knowing what your next move is. And you're laying there. The next thing you know, you're laying there for three days and you don't eat, you don't sleep, you don't bathe. You know, your loved ones are watching you go through this incredibly painful experience and there's nothing they can really do, you know, except try to give you your space and hope that you go through it and make your way into a positive place. So. Okay. So I'd like us to start with uh, your, the history. When, so this is, is this diagnosed, self-diagnosed or medically diagnosed? This is medically diagnosed. Okay, can um, we find out how it all started? When did you discover this? Well, it's so funny because growing up, you know, growing up in a black house, black household, you would always hear people say, well, you know, she a little bit off or she, you know, she, you know, she touched or she crazy. She looked crazy. Don't mm -hmm. A little touched. You know? And, you know, and so um, I remember seeing my aunt go through um, what we would now describe as, um, as, um, Alzheimer's and, but seeing her go through this craziness and recognizing something, I must've been 
14 or 15 and recognizing some of the things that she was going through that I would recognize in myself and in my younger self, the depression, the anxiety, the, you know, trying to, trying to make sure that I would try to make sure that I was always the best. And if I wasn't noticed, I would make a bigger scene of myself to be noticed. And then when that didn't work, I just went completely into a depressive state you know, because mm-hmm. I was like trying my best to be liked and, you know, to do the best and all these things. And then, you know, when that wouldn't happen, that would just, I would just go deep inside myself. So, and, you know, and, and, and another friend, a very close friend of mine uh, suffered from the same thing. And we actually grew up next door to each other. And she actually took her life mm. two and a half years ago. Really? Yeah. And And this uh, is a childhood friend. Yeah. We grew up next door to each other. You know, she was the one when she was the one who helped me come out of the closet. She was like, she was sort of my, uh, there were three young women, three women who lived next door to me and they were, they were my sisters and they ended up all being, you know, lesbians in the same, three (laughs) lesbians in the same family of seven. And um, it was just, they were my, you know, that was my, sort of like go to when things were happening. And so when she actually took her own life, um, like I said, two and a half years ago, Charlotte, it was very painful because I know what that feels like. I know what wanting what wanting to end everything feels like and how deep that anger, anxiety runs inside of you. Um so but what that also did is that when she did that, and then one of my closest friends in the entire world, Bradley, uh, sorry, Bradford, Bradley, someone else, Bradford killed himself um, Halloween, this past Halloween. He, Halloween day, he hung himself, much like my friend Charlotte. And so I was having all these people who were taking their lives around me. There's a couple other people who I, who I knew, but I wasn't very close with, who also took their lives over the last like year. And so that has now sent me into this like, okay, let's see now what you can do to make sure you're okay, you know, and make sure that you are like going ahead because you have children, you have a relationship, you know, you want to make sure you're there for them as much as possible. And with the exception, well, last week I had, I was two days, I, I, I went, in for, went in for two days last week, Sunday, Monday. I just, I couldn't, it was, gonna be, it was very hard for me to pull back, but I convinced myself to come back out of it Tuesday, you know, and it's hard to get a doctor's appointment now. <laughs> because, you well, know, we're in the pandemic. We are, but uh, Michael, I'm sure you know this, there are online, there is online counseling and therapists available. Oh, absolutely. But, absolutely. you know, I was, the reason why I really wanted you on this podcast is because I felt that rather than have an expert, so to speak, a therapist, come share what that's like, I thought hearing firsthand from you, a sufferer, um, would enlighten more and, and, and elicit more empathy and compassion and understanding, because we're hearing it from your perspective. Now, having said that, I need to go back a little bit. At which point did you get your diagnosis? Um, It was 1997. Okay. Um, I I had been to psychiatrists before that, 
And I always sort of poo-pooed it and ignored it. And, uh, you know, I'll be fine. I'll be fine because, you know, you grew up in black households, you know, people say, you know. It's taboo to go for help. It's taboo. And, you know, and all I heard, if you pray hard enough, you'll be fine. Um, and, And that wasn't working for me. And, but I still had that in my head that that's, you know, just had to keep believing I was going to get through it. And then I, I started my relationship with my, my, met a boy and then who is now my husband of 23 years. Your life partner. My life, my life, he's my life partner then. <laughs> um, you know, and we, well, we've been together 23 years now, married 20, 20 and 21. I don't know. It's hard. It's okay. We don't have to do math. We're, you're an artist. You don't I have to do don't math. Even know what the day, I don't even know what day it is anymore. I'm trying to figure out numbers. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You know, why my children are failing in school? Because I don't even know numbers. Um, so, and what happened was, is that we had been together for just over a year and everything was great. I was, you know, handling everything fine. And then it dawned on me that I'd never been in a relationship over a year. And even though this felt like the most perfect relationship ever, I had never, you know, I think the longest I'd ever been in a relationship was one year and two months. And we were like at one year, and one month. And I realized, oh shit, this is going to end. I know this is going to end. So I started going into that deep hole of depression and be, you know, and being careless with my life and things like that. And just like in anticipation for this, for the shoe to drop. I had been so happy. And then all of a sudden my brain went, the shoe's going to drop. Just watch and see the shoe's going to drop. And even though it didn't make any sense, you know, just telling someone, they were like, but you have this, you have that. My brain was like, the shoe's going to drop. And so I'd worked myself up so much that the, the um, Halle Berry was starring in the Dorothy Dandridge story and it was mm-hmm. premiering on HBO. And I knew that Dorothy Dandridge had a um, history with, you know, pills and um, depression and all those things. And I thought that every time she would take a pill in her, um, in this movie with Halle Berry, I would also take a pill. In fact, I would take two pills. Hmm. I, would, I, I decided that I would kill myself while watching this, this Dorothy Dandridge story next to my then boyfriend. Because I knew if I, I, I wanted to end on my terms. And, as, and, so, and then finally, about an hour in the movie, he was like, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. And he knew that something had to be up. And he literally jumped on me and opened up and saw that I had all these pills that I was taking. You know, got me upstairs. We, I threw up and we sat and talked the whole night. And he was the one who helped me get to a psychologist the next day who then led me to a psychiatrist so I could get my medication. So that was in 97. And no, wait, might've been 98. I can't remember. It's like 98. It was early 98. Sorry. It was early 98. What was happening in your career? Cause you know, you are leading in my purview, a, an exemplary life as an artist. Michael, you started the Celebration Theater, you know. I didn't start it. I've just been there for 
I've been there for what since Jesus. It feels like, but I never <laughs> heard it. Well, well, you know what? I, I just I'm trying to say that you. I think you, it became it became more known once I sort of took over the helm of it. Yeah, exactly, I, exactly. That's what I meant. And also, you've ha- you're well known uh, television actor. I've, I've had I've had lots of success, and I've been yes, very. Yes, you have. I've been very. You know, I love that. You know that someone who is my size and. You know, being out out and queer has had success both on on stage and on screen. Um, but I think what I had just gotten back, I think I'd just gotten back from doing the 30th anniversary production of UB and got some very good reviews, but nothing was happening at that time. I think I, I, I like knowing this is the one thing right now. It's like if I get two days where I don't have to do anything theater right now during this, I love it. I love it. I get to, you know, what I don't like is teaching my children at school. I hate that, but I love that. Oh my God, what you're going to do? I'm going to binge watch something that's unheard of that I would spend an entire day binge watching, but I, I digress. Um, so, but, and I think I was also in a lull in my career. One of those little, you know, but where I hadn't worked for like a month and a half, which I know, I know, which seems well, it's an eternity for an artist. Yeah, yeah. But you know, oh my gosh! And I was working; I was bartending. You know, I yeah. Had, so it wasn't about money. It wasn't about money. It was just, you know, I, I, you know, I wish I had the perfect wording for it, but it just everything just seemed to get dark quick. Mm. You know. When I'm performing and I'm and I'm on stage and you know working, I very seldom go through these patterns. Um, I can the only time that ever happened, I was doing head of passes at up in Northern California at Berkeley Rep, and um, something happened and someone who I considered a friend totally broke my heart in terms of because he was suffering as well. And his, and as I was there to more to sort of help him and comfort him, he went through what he had to do to sort of pull back from this relationship because I know he realized we were getting too close as friends and I was learning too much about him. So then he took that as an opportunity to totally make sure that no one in this play liked me or wanted to be around me. Oh, wow. That's a betrayal. And that, mm-hmm. and that sort of broke, I broke my heart. And I just, you know, and, it was just, it, that was that, and that sort of put me into a space of depression, but I had a job and I had to, you know, I had to work spending all day in bed, but I knew that I had to get up and do my gig, mm-hmm. you know? Right. But So after this, once you the doctor diagnosed you, um, how did they, how are you managing? How did they decide to treat you and manage? Well, I was, put on, um, um, I was put on two medications. Um, I'm trying to remember this, this, these medications were so long ago. Yeah, uh, no need to remember. They were last century, literally. Yeah. Um, it's so crazy. Wow. <laughs> right? Oh, that's the last century. Um, and so, but I would still, you know, I'd take them for like two weeks and I'd go off a week and I'd, then come back on. So I was never consistent. You were cavalier about the whole thing. Yeah. And even today, there, there are times it's like, eh, do I really need to take that? And I won't. Uh-huh. But then I'll start to get like this thing. I go, take your pill, bitch. Take your pill. Right, take right. Your pills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a chemical imbalance. It, it's, 
this is the thing I want people, because like you said, this is such a stigma within the black community. I want black folks to understand that my mental illness is a chemical imbalance in my body. Much like if you have diabetes, much like if you have high blood pressure, you are prescribed a pill. You take your pill, it helps you to get through the day. And that is what you know, I have to remind myself every day because I'm still fighting the stigma in my head, oddly enough, you know. Are you really? Yeah. Thir- you know, 35 years later, I'm still fighting this stigma, mm. you know, from the yeah. first time I started feeling this. I remember feeling this way. I'm still fighting it because I still hear it when I go back to visit at home. Mm. Now, it's less than that because, you know, my sister's, you know, she's admitted that she's has this... Um, it is part, you know, it's part of, and it's part of our DNA in certain families. I mean, my family has gone through a lot of this, a lot of the depression, a lot of the anger. My sister died from depression. My, um, my nephew committed suicide because of depression and anxiety. You know, um, I've had other cousins who have, you know, this has been a part of our family history because, you know, one of the reasons I don't speak, my brother and I have been in and out for years. And, but the last you know, five or plus years, I've not spoken to him because when one of the reasons is because when his son, my nephew was having all these problems and I went to talk to him because I'm like, I know I, my husband was like, we were at a family reunion. I was just like, look at his face. That's your face. That's the mm. thing. And I was like, oh, it is. And so I went to talk to him and I was lambasted by my family saying all he needs is God. All he needs is Jesus. Two and a half months later, he had blown his head off. Good grief. You know, and I was pushed away from him hmm. because they didn't, they, there's still that stigma. There's still that stigma. And we have to get through that because we're losing a lot of brown and black folks because they don't want to take care of themselves because they're afraid that someone might find out they have this issue. Yeah, there's so much shame attached to it. It's almost as if, you know, it's a luxury to, to have that problem, to go to a therapist. Exactly. Yeah, and, it's and, fancy, it's bougie, it's highfalutin. It's bougie. It's yeah. bougie. It's bougie. Oh, so you go to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And yes, if I didn't, I might not be sitting here talking to you right now. Exactly. I, you know, I have to do that. And, and I think a lot of it, too, though, is rooted in the belief, and I'm, I keep going back to this, that we have heard for years and years and years that if you just pray on it, it'll be fine. You don't need to talk to anybody about it but God. Mm-hmm. And now I am, I am a devout atheist, but I was in the church for a very long time. And I remember Mamie Mobley, um, who was Emmett Till's mother, said, I firmly believe in God, but I also believe God gave me the brains to make decisions for myself mm-hmm. and to move forward when I needed something. So I don't want you to, so these people sitting back in the pocket, just waiting for deliverance and not getting help because they don't want to believe that they have the, they have the, you know, they can take this course of life and like she helped themselves, but they sit in the pocket waiting. And I think that's a very sad thing. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it it does nothing but um, the time that could be used to heal is wasted. Hey, listeners, the term self-care is thrown around a lot these days, and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. 
Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. Therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor. You can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor. And BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to. Um, it's very affordable. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available so get started today and you as a what the fuckery listener get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash fuckery 10 again that's betterhelp h-e-l-p dot com forward slash fuckery 10 in fact use fuckery 10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um use our sponsors okay back to our program can you define what is the difference between being bipolar and manic depressive what are these two how are they different if i were to uh, make it simplistic mm-hmm uh, being man depressive is waking up and I can't stop moving. I have to clean. I have to make sure everyone's cleaning around me. I have to, I have to, there's nothing I can do to control what I, I, I have like a set thing. It's like, and it has to be done. And then when that's done, I have to focus on something else and make sure that that's done. And it's just like, it's a continuous move. And that's my, this is my experience. Mm-hmm. That's your version. Um, yes. Um, and when, it's so funny because usually the main depression leads into the depression, which leads me into the thoughts of suicide and the thoughts of hurting others. Not so much that, but hurting myself and making sure that with whatever I do to hurt myself, it, that's going to hurt other people immensely, you know? And, and do, do you derive some kind of, is there satisfaction with knowing that you can, you're hurting others or does that bump make it worse? I think it makes it worse. I mean, okay. I'm not, the last time, I mean, besides, you know, every now and then there's like a day or two here and there. And I'm usually, I get to recover pretty quickly now because I, you know, I may double my medication, which I'm not supposed to, but it actually helps push me through. Um, are you consistent all the while and it still happens or is it because you, 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 you put the pill away? Um, I'm pretty consistent now. And when those things sort of happen, I can't explain it, but I know that the consistency in the uh, medication helps me get through faster. Faster. Okay. Now the, you're to seven years ago, which is my last seven, five, five or seven. <laughs> Numbers, uh, it was five or seven years ago, we were at a friend's wedding and I snapped. I snapped and gotten, and we were in Hermosa Beach and I, I didn't have on shoes and I, and I didn't have my wallet and I just had my phone and ran out of this hotel and got into an Uber and took an Uber back to Los Feliz and went in the house and my kids were like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be at a wedding overnight grab my uh, keys to my car and then just took off and was gone for a week. And it was, it, that was, that was the worst time I'd ever experienced. Cause I was, I was living in my car for a week. I didn't have a wallet didn't have any money. 
do you know are you were you cognizant while it's happening are you sitting there going this is there's something wrong here do you there's even know nothing, there's nothing and i can't physically do anything about it i just wow. sit there and i have to like it's literally sometimes it's like it take it 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 tires me to lift my arm mm-hmm. literally i start <sighs> It's aches and pains. It hurts. It literally hurts. It literally hurts me. Physically. Okay, so the bipolarism. What is that? The definition? How do you experience it rather than asking for a definition? It's it's sort of like the by the duality of it is that it doesn't matter that the situation around me is absolutely perfect. I can only see the bad in it and I want to take myself out of it Mm. because even though, you know, I, I can be on stage and win a major award and in my head, am I worthy? Am I good enough? You know, imposter syndrome, my God, imposter syndrome. Are you, you're, why are you so fat? Why are you so ugly? Why you know, why is your nose the shape it is? And you, I obsess on those things. Making no sense. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense whatsoever for me, but right. I can't, and I can't get out of that. I can't move forward from that. And everything just sort of swirls. And it's like, even though I know I have to get up and I have to do, the bipolar is worse than the depression in certain respects because I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't think, I can't move, I can't do anything. You know, I can look at a piece of paper and go, and it'll, a, a calendar and it'll say, you know, you have an audition on the 13th and it's the 11th and I physically will cry for two hours. Because? because because I know that I'm not worth that and I shouldn't be going to that and you know and I have to really sort of just like soothe myself so much a lot of self-soothing for me mm-hmm. and I'm lucky because I married the best person in the world who is able to just like while not being able to fix me hasn't stuck with me and he knows sort of the recipe of 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 helping me through this but even like just coming in and just going open your fucking mouth i'm putting food in it right because you also refuse to eat oh yeah that's a big thing refuse to eat for me that's huge freezing the shower i mean not pandemic not showering but i mean like refusing like literally all i want to do is lay in my own filth hmm. you know like i said the week that i was gone in the shower i was just laying sleeping in my car you know, eating whatever. Where did and, you drive to? Um, Griffith Park. I was okay. So I'm like five blocks from my house because <laughs> I didn't know where else to go. But I knew that I, there are places I could just park and sleep there. You know. Your husband and children. Did they find you, or did it, did you just sort of like click back and just drove yourself? I, back I clicked home? back and started coming home. Um, Did they, were they concerned? I, I, I called like after three days, I called and says, I, and I remember calling and it was really difficult. I said, I'm just calling real fast. And the weird thing is like, I have my phone in my charger, but I didn't have, I, you know, I didn't have the wherewithal. I didn't have anything in my phone to actually charge my phone car in my car to charge my phone. So, um, I, my family's walking into the room right now. <laughs> well, they can come say hello if they want. You want to say hello? Hi. Can you say hello? Hi. Hi. I've seen your cooking shows. 
I've enjoyed your dinners on Facebook, your fish fries. He doesn't even say hello. I guess he doesn't understand. Hi there. We're recording a podcast. I had to listen to podcasts before on Spotify. They're very boring. Really? That's that's your t- that's what you're gonna say right now well, as I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> well, this is not going on well, Spotify, so I don't. Yeah, it kind of is. So. Well, we'll see. All right. Wow. I know. I, I will not edit that out, listeners. This is what life is like recording remotely these days for me. It's a lot of fockeries. <laughs> I know. Hi, this is the hubby. I'm not yes, this is my husband. Tell you know, everyone he that looks I'm like, like digging the like, What are those uh, king penguins? No, you know what? It's like or like or like um, Christopher Lloyd and anything. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well, you're beautiful. It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, nice to meet you. And your name is Cynthia. No, Nadesh. Nadesh. Cynthia. My computer. Nadesh. Hold on. Anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I'm trying to get a signal actress. on this computer, and this is where the router is. It's a side note. We go to therapy with our kid, so they, you know. as you should, yeah. Okay, How, practical things now. Okay. How did you explain this to your children? You have two, a boy and a girl. What? Well, yes. How uh, old are they now? Seventeen and thirteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, I I will explain the way I explained it last Sunday or two Sundays ago when um I sort of went into my two day sh- spin. Um, I pulled them both. Once I was, was coming out of it, I said, you both know daddy has a mental issue. Betty has, you know, this thing. And, um, and they, they know, they know what daddy goes through. We've had these discussions before we talk about it. I've given them stuff to read about it. Uh, they've been very open about it. And I said, I just, and I just, what I, I keep reiterating to them is that no, I love you. And this doesn't have anything to do with you. This is something that is in me that causes me to do these things. This is not, you know, sometimes, yes, I will yell at you, <laughs> you know, and things like that. But that's because you're bad. It's not because of, that's not because of this. That's because you're acting a certain way. But this is daddy. This is what daddy uh, has to live with every day. And sometimes his medications don't work. And sometimes he gets a little off and then he has to go back to a doctor. But I always know I love you. So they've been well aware of the fact that, you know, that I've been suffering from manic depression and being bipolar. They are so super clear on it. I said, I want everything. We've been, we're, we're a family of folks who are very out in the open with our kids. Like, people were like, sort of like freaked out when my daughter was six and she already knew everything about her period. Mm. But, you know, because we had a dog who, you know, we brought home a stray and we didn't know it wasn't fixed and... This is my knowledge. I had no idea that dogs bled, female dogs bled. I didn't know. <laughs> I just thought, you know, I'd heard that, uh, you know, what is it called when they go in the heat? Right. I didn't know that when they go in the heat that they would actually bleed. So we had the dog, we came home one night and Hutch and I, there was blood everywhere. We're like, what the hell happened? <laughs> you know? So, but then I became this great entree to talk about this because we had to go buy this contraption with Kotex and put it in there. So it was a great opportunity to explain as a, it to her as a lesson you know you know this is a very teachable moment you know and we you know we're very honest with our kids i think it's better it's better for them how old were they when you first started to explain your your issue um i 
I don't know. I mean, I you don't remember. I maybe I think my son was like maybe six. Mm. I mean, um, I had an issue when he was. I had a moment when he was three, or just over three, where I went into a. Uh, this was just a depression, and I became. I became an alcoholic basically. I, th- I was doing um, a show at San Diego River. Um, and I would drink because I was depressed because the lead actress in the show was just a horrible human being. I don't care if she listens. She's a horrible human being. She knows it. And I started getting depressed about that because it, it wasn't any fun anymore. And I wasn't having a good time. And so I just started drinking heavily. And then, you know, I do the show, and I didn't have anything to do today because we were already open. We were just about to open, so I was like, I would just drink, and that led to me getting a DUI, spending the day in jail, missing a rehearsal, which was very embarrassing. Getting through the run of the show, you know, basically, you know, in trimmers, but um, and then coming home and having to deal with the, the repercussions of that, hmm. of that behavior. How long ago was this? Um, Sebastian was three, he said 14 years ago. Okay. You know, that was, that was, you know, again, you go through these difficult times and you have to, again, I go, I have the best partner in the world because yeah. put up with all of this. But again, I'm honest with him about what I'm going through. I think that if I were trying to keep something a secret, this wouldn't be lasting as long as it has been. So moral of the story, part of it is communication is key. Communication. Communication. communication and sometimes is I'm not the best communicator, you know, which he reminds me of whenever I'm not the best communicator. Has this ever happened? Have you ever had uh, sort of, has anything ever triggered or happened while you're performing either on set in front of cameras or uh, on stage? Um, never on camera. Never. Um, before a camera that you know that's like that's always just pretty chill you learn your lines i think you get more emotional doing theater you're more invested if that's mm-hmm. you know. more vulnerable and it's live and yes yeah. yeah and it's like you know there's no you know there's no retakes you know and there have been times yeah i'll be honest with you i have let that affect me there was a um this is this is uh, thirty years ago. I was doing um, a production of Ain't Misbehaving. Mm-hmm. I'm telling so many secrets on myself, and um, I was doing this production, and this cast couldn't have been more wonderful. It was my first musical because I never. I was like, I don't sing. I don't sing. And some. Oh my God! Are you kidding? You're an amazing singer. And but I don't. You know, this is like eighty eighty six. I'm thinking 87 might've been later than that. Again, numbers. Um, and I had never sung it only, I was only in, you know, plays. I never was ever in a musical. And uh, my friend Karen cast me as the lead and the lead one of the five. And, and it was all, it, it was the first time she did it as an almost improv based. Like she didn't want the set, like setups. She created this through line of the storytelling. I thought it was so interesting and cool. And I sort of like being, because I was doing a lot of improv then, I sort of like, I created every joke I could for me. 
I made every joke I could. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, you know. Might as well go for it. I'm going to go for it. And I did. And I think because I took so much air in the room that it's something I've learned. I wasn't allowing anyone else to sort of shine. But at that time, it didn't, that, that time, younger, you know, me, 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 me. And um, so one of the things, so one of the girls in the cast said something to me that was quite, well, if you did one of us get a word in on stage like that, and I was like, oh. And I started, I, I, it just hit me wrong and I got started getting depressed. And in my head says, then don't then just sing your songs and don't do another fucking thing on stage. Hmm. And literally, you know, where there had been improv moments and they kind of expected stuff. I was like, no. Mm, yeah. No, no. Yeah. It's part of the, of being uh, young too. It's, not it's like, an immature, you handled it in that immature way that would have been expected. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, but it also happened when I was doing the color purple. <laughs> I got, I, you know, I got a little, I got a little in my head then again, the, you know, I can talk about these things because I've learned from these things mm-hmm. and, you know, and I've had to apologize to people. And I think that becomes a very big thing too. There were people from my own theater company that were like, when I told, you know, we were out drinking about two years ago in front of the theater, Celebration Theater, you know, we, we drink. Mm-hmm. We sit in front of the theater drinking. And I mentioned this to like five company members about my being, you know, bipolar. And they were like, wait, what? We didn't know this. Right. And then all of a sudden it dawned on them. Oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> that explains this, 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 and this. And I was like, yeah, ah. you know, because when I went to the thing and I lived in the park for those seven days and did all that crazy stuff, I was doing booty candy at Celebration Theater, and I oh. literally missed a entire weekend of performances. Wow. Now, luckily, my understudy went on, had gone on that Friday, that was that of the wedding. So he was, uh, he knew he was going on anyway, but I wasn't there for the rest of the performances. So he was suddenly on call and covered for you. You didn't have to, shows were not canceled because of you. Exactly. You, the artist, one of the co-artistic directors at the time. No. I oh know. my gosh. You know, I appreciate your candor so much because even when you, when I found this out about you, it was, it was, I mean, to say shocking sounds judgmental, but it's the only word I can think of only because you, Michael, to me, are the epitome of success. You know, you are a triple threat. You are handsome. How tall are you? Six, six. Okay. Hello. Six, six. You, you, you know, you, you're always doing something. You're always working and you are just so funny and so welcoming. I've been watching your lives on Facebook of you and your family and your shenanigans making dinner. (laughs) And I literally, I mean, so many times I wanted to go, can I come over? And as soon as this is opening, I'm inviting myself over to your house and I'm going to come hang out with your family and I'm going to have some of your cocktails. I care more about the cocktail than the food, by the way. (laughs) We do. We do. My son has special needs, and it's not telling a secret of anything. We're so open. He knows. We know. Our friends all know. It's like, you know. So it's a whole different um, reality of parenting, you know. And I got to say, anyone with special needs kids during this time, 
I hope that you have an amazing support system because it is not easy. Mm-mm. It is not easy. And when you have a special needs kid who needs a lot of attention, and then you have a kid who is just a regular, you know, regular everyday, I don't want to use the word normal because both of my kids are very normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the everyday, you know, regular kind of student, it's like trying, you have to, you really have to play that balance of like, I know he needs more time, but I have to be there for you as well. And that can be very difficult. And a lot of conversations center around that with my daughter to make sure that she knows that we're there for her as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. She too has needs. Oh yes, she does. Oh yeah. I and know. I know. Her, the best thing about her is she will let you know. Oh, good for her. You've taught her that, you know, you speak up, you mm. cannot sit, you know, and just, I mean, I think you've seen her on, you know, on my Facebook lives. She's very talkative. Yes. Yeah. You know, if you don't mind, I like the honesty of it all. So I, I almost want to make this joke, which may sound inappropriate and let me know if I am. Never it was like, I was like, damn, Michael's got like the trifecta. He black, gay, bipolar, and manic depressive. Hot diggity damn. All of it. You did not, you, you certainly chose an easy life for yourself. And some body issues. Let's just be clear. <laughs> Why? My goodness. Can I tell you, and this is, again, I, you know, I, I, I say this to, you know, I, I, and we're all going to screw up our kids in some way, but I say to educators particularly, be very sensitive to what you say. To, uh, the reason I didn't think I could sing is because the teacher in fifth grade told me, uh, seventh grade, she told me, um, I don't know why you want to be in the choir. You can't sing. You have the worst voice I've ever heard. That stuck. Mm-hmm. So I didn't sing because I'd already, I had that information given to me. Yeah. And an adult tells you that you accept whatever they say. You know, the fact that, you know, I was told in, you know, ninth grade, you should, you know, your nose looks white. So I went, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? You know, this is the nose that's been placed on my black body. What does that mean? And, you know, and then, you know, so then you go, well, I, you start like disrespecting your face because you feel like he's betrayed you by giving you something that people will be disappointed in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of that, ha- you know, you know, even seeing like what growing up, seeing what the white kids had as opposed to what the black kids had. And then TV shows like Dynasty would come on and I would go, I want a horse on a ranch in Denver. <laughs> and I want to change my name to Dominic Devereaux. Boom. There you go. And that's all I wanted. So, you know, there was a whole, and this is a whole nother subject. I spent many, many years as, you know, and I am, I'm a chocolate brown. And I disavowed my blackness for years because I felt, because I wasn't, I didn't think I could achieve what I wanted by being the skin color that I was. So I would ignore it. I would ignore all blackness around me. I don't think that helped me, you know, that mentally helped me as well, you know, because I would see things happening and go, doesn't involve me. That's not me. Mm, So you weren't speaking up. Oh, not at all. Which is, you know, kind of odd. Because you were raising your daughter to speak up. Well, and, you know, and, you know, and anyone who knows me personally knows that I'm pretty freaking loud. Mm hmm. You know, I speak out and speak up. But, you know, luckily I found someone my uh, sophomore year in college who handed me a copy of The Bluest Eye. Mm. And I read that. Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison's Rest in Peace. Yep. And I read that and realized, oh, 
that only are you black, you super black and you should, you have super black powers and you need to fly with these powers. And that sort of shifted everything in my life. Everything Wonderful. shifted. Yeah. You know, which is, I think what, you know, and, you know, speak, speaking the truth, telling the truth. I think that's why I'm so open about my life. I mean, anyone knows, you know, I, I don't have secrets. In fact, I talk too much about things in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's super important because, so you are proof that through all of this, there is normalcy. It can be success is, is achievable and success isn't just oh, like absolutely. one big thing. Yeah, it's a bunch. It's a bunch of little steps. It's increments. It's incremental. You set out a goal. You you achieve it. Great. You move on to the next thing. What's it like to be in an interracial marriage on top of everything else? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um. So now, so you're gay. You black. You in an interracial <laughs> relationship. <laughs> And I have my son is white and my daughter's black. Well, you guys are fair, at least. You're equal opportunities. <laughs> I thank God for that. So, Michael. Yes. What's it like to be in an interracial relationship? Oh. Ah. So we're going there today. Okay. Yes, we are. All right. Might so, as well. I mean, this man saved you. He's yes, with you. And, and I don't think he saved me because I'm I'm black. He's not mm-hmm. white savior. <laughs> oh hell no! We don't do the white savior stuff. No, nah. not at all. That's a uh, myth, by the way. Oh, the worst myth of all. Mm-hmm. I, here's, here's the thing. Um, I did not think I was ever going to be in a relationship with someone white. Just even though I dated the gamut, I there's that there's not a racial stone unturned that I did not sleep with or date. And by date, I mean sleep with. Um, so, but I thought I'd probably end up with someone black or brown. And it just turns out that I was at a bar one night and with like the cast of five guys, Damo, who are five black men, and we were having a great time. And I looked over and it, it was no secret that um, I had a reputation as being a Lothario. Lothario, which is French for hoe. And. <laughs> But then you're saying it wrong, Michael. <laughs> you got to say, Lothario, something. Yeah. Make it I sound fancy. I know, right? Um, and, you know, and I, I looked over and I saw him and I was like, wow, that's, 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 I, just something just went all went through my body. And my friends were teasing me, go, yeah, that's Mr. Right for tonight. But I went over and we, the first thing I said to him, when I, literally the first thing I said to him was, um, you're the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with. No. And How the hell do you say that? Was that a pickup line that you've used before? No, it was, um, he was talking to some guy at, a, at, a, at the table and I saw him and I was like, okay, that's it. And I positioned myself by the bar. So I knew he'd have to walk past me if he went to the bathroom. And as he walked by me, I reached out, I grabbed his hand, pulled it back, turned his palm upside uh, uh, palm side up I kissed the palm of his hand looking him in the eyes and I said you're the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with and he said that's original and walked away and as he was going to the bathroom he turned his smile and I was like yep and then three days later we moved in together not <gasps> the front door three days how graduation um I s- <laughs> So we that we met that night, Uh which was October first, 
And we did not go home together that night. He had a very early morning. So we had a date on October 3rd. I'm sorry, October 2nd that night. And we were so, we went out and had drinks and talked because we both had to work. And after work, we were drinking and talking. This is in, in New York and we lived in Park Slope. And um, as we were about to do the do, we went in really fast because we were so excited and we busted each other's lips. And at that time, we were like, oh, well, wait, hold on. Um, so we ended up spending the night just talking. Hmm. So Don and we walked to his dog. And then he went and he had uh, to work and I sort of saved his place and I cleaned and made dinner. And we, you know, spent the afternoon talking. And then that night we're healed up and we did the do. And the next day I moved in. <laughs> wow. And, and, and you've been together ever since. Well, the next morning after the do, we went to the park to walk the dog. And the first one of the things we talked about was that we both wanted to have children. <gasps> How soon after did you guys, so what did you guys do for children? Um, that was 97. We adopted Sebastian in 2000 and in 2003, he was born in December and we adopted him in February. Might I ask, how did you, did you adopt him because he was given up for adoption or was he chosen by the two of you to be Um, brought into the planet? You know, he was given, uh, both of our children are adopted. They are, uh, they have birth parents. Our daughter is uh, very close to her birth mom and her two birth sisters, you know, her, you know, biological sisters. Sebastian has eight brothers and sisters, uh, six of which we are in contact with and spend time with. Wow. Are they all from California or New Yorkers? Uh, they, are they, uh, well, Maxie's sisters are all here. They're from Antelope Valley. And Sebastian's brothers and sisters, uh, the, uh, her, his two bro- three brothers are here in Southern California. Let me see. Then he has two sisters that are in Ohio, Iowa, sorry, Iowa. And it's just, it's, it's a huge, big extended family. Oh, under- people can find love too. <laughs> and last and make it last. Well, you know, if if and, I, if, and, I, and, I, and I'm using the term crazy as you know. I was I, going. To, I was going to say just as you know. Going back to what I was saying about the terms we grew up with, you know, because we heard the word crazy and you know touched and all those. So I'm just making a statement. Going back to what I was talking about earlier, I'm not trying to make fun of people, you know, with mental illnesses because I used to be making fun of myself. You actually give me hope because on textbook, I'm semi-normal <laughs> and I've not found love. You know what? It's, it's, I'm finding that this, and I have a lot, we have a lot of women friends and a lot of uh, women who are, are in our lives as family, you know, mm-hmm. our chosen family. Because you have da- a daughter have who a daughter. needs their presence. Yes. And, you know, and she has chosen three of the women that we are with all the time as her inspiration and source of comfort. And, you know, and it's great. It's great to have that because there are certain things that I don't know because I'm being male, but I always knew that we needed to have this and these people in her life. And the more I, and of all these women who are strong and beautiful and independent and funny and charming and smart as hell, they're all single. And I'm watching these knuckleheads, these, you know, 
men. Straight, so-called straight males. Yeah. You know, these cis-heteronormative men-ish mm-hmm. um, acting fools around them. You know, I've watched, like, literally, they, they'll find someone and these men will do something incredibly stupid. Now, I know stupid. I've done stupid things. I know. But as I grew, as I grow older, I realized, well, some of the irrationality of what I did was because of my illness and not my immaturity. Mm. Some of it was definitely because of my immaturity. And I'm like, yeah, okay, y'all 40. This is not from an illness. This is because y'all think y'all something else and you sitting around waiting for something better or something different, or you've been conditioned to think that, well, I need to have this to make me look this way. I'm like, mm. all right, y'all keep playing. Yeah, I call it a case of arrested development. Absolutely. I agree. You know, agree. because the, there's a level of immaturity that astounds people. Um, I came to believe that, you know, there are certain careers, responsible professions, quote unquote, that make me think, oh, hey, this person may be a good communicator, a responsible adult. And as it turns out, it means nothing. I mean, if you're immature, you're immature. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just, I want to see my friends happy. I want to see my friends flourish. I want to see my friends experience what I get to experience. Mm-hmm. And when I don't, it does make me sad. I won't. I, I, I won't deny that because, I mean, you have. If there's a list of like 25 boxes that need to be checked, you've got 22 of them checked, and they should be looking at those 22 boxes checked and going, "Oh, damn, that's perfection right there." Because no one has 25 boxes checked, and I think there are people who are looking for the th- last three boxes. <laughs> and, and that's pass, their focus and pass all the good stuff that comes into their life you know mm-hmm. i was lucky to find someone who looked at me and saw of the 25 boxes i only I only had like eight checked but knew that you could have the together, 20 together we could create this life mm-hmm. and continuously one by one check those boxes off and may i just say you deserve it Thank you. You deserve it. And I'm 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 near tears right now and I don't know why. I want to ask you, are there parting words? Is there anything you would like to share with anyone who may be wrestling with what you are experiencing or have experienced? It saddens me that you've actually lost people. And you know, if there's anything you can say, words of wisdom, anything they can do, if we, any signs for people who may recognize something in someone else who's dear and they can help anything, please. I think there's a couple of things just off the top of my head. I mean, the hardest thing that they say to, to the hardest words to say is, can you help me? Or I need help. It's our task for help. It is incredibly hard to do that. And I think that there has to be just, I don't know if you want to replace the word, if we can replace the word help, which has so much weight on that word, if we could replace that with, you know, you know, dance, dance with me. So we know, oh, this person said dance, they need help. 
you know, because we have to dance together. You, you know, you can dance separately, but it's always more fun to dance together because you're there partnering. And one partner has to hold and support and lead. Yeah. Yeah. And then you trade and you swirl I, and you twirl. Oh, yes. I, I, that's just something that pops in my head. It's like, you know, what if the word dance was like, you know, it's a wonderful safe, metaphor for life, by the way. Safe word. The dance. Yeah. And the other thing, if you see someone suffering, is like, you know, I said earlier with my nephew, my husband and I both saw the pain he was going through. We saw it in his eyes. Don't be afraid to sit next to that person and just say, hey, you know, even, you know, right now I say sit next to, but that could be a phone call, that could be a text, that could be an email. Um, I know a lot of people are going, phone call. <laughs> yeah, for the phone call. Because honestly, hearing someone's voice mm-hmm. makes you feel better. It makes you feel that they care more. It's soothing. Text. Yeah, it's soothing. Because, you know, I can put in a text, you know, if you need anything, call me, which puts the onus on the person who's able to make the decision, which when we get to those places, we don't, we can't, we don't know how to. Now, that, you know, that we don't know how to, we just can't make ourselves do that. We can barely get up. So as opposed to that, call that person and go, hey, I'm right here. What do you need? And then call them the next day and say, hey, I'm right here. What do you need? Because, you know, those are, I think that's the takeaway. It's like, be there for each other. Because we all know what depression looks like. We can always tell when that when something in, in your friends look a little off and it's it's the kept promise of saying because you can say you know mm-hmm. call me if you need something or you could say i'm calling you in five minutes be at your phone text them i'll be at your phone because a lot of times especially like with my kids they will text me and i will call them right back and they won't answer the phone because <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. but I think if you say, text someone go, I'm calling you in three minutes. That's accountability. That's accountability. That makes that person feel seen. It makes them feel special in that someone cares enough to do that. Yeah. You know, I think that, and it's simple. That is the simplest thing you can do. It really is. It really is. You know, during this crisis, I have made it a point to reach out to just about everyone I know. And at some, yeah, and at some point it actually occurred to me. Now, if I want to be petty, I can say, wow, I now know who my true friends are. But I don't want to let that define my instinct to nurture personally as a human being. Nadej likes to nurture. But there were literally only three people who checked in with me and who check in with me on a regular basis is just one person. I'm finding out during this people's true nature. Come out. Because I'm seeing people slip up. Mm. People that I thought, oh, you're there, you're going to do this. Or I didn't know that that's how you felt (laughs) about someone of my melanation. Melanation, I love that word. New word, and I'm gonna stick with it. Stick so, with it. My melanation. Yeah, my level of melanation. <laughs> exactly. My pigmentation and my melanation. 
Yeah, they show up. People show up. People, you know, people have a funny way of showing you who they truly are eventually. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they really do. What is your, your, your husband's name, first name? You don't have to share his last name. Hutch. Hutch. I love Hutch because Hutch loves you. Oh, it's very sweet. No, I mean that. I just, I, you know, when he popped on that screen earlier, and he's just—he's a handsome dude, by the way. And he, yeah, yeah, no, and um, beautiful. And you guys, have, you've you made a beautiful family. You really did. Thank you. Um, is there a special way that you and Hutch say good night or goodbye to each other whenever you have to go your separate ways? It's so funny. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> it came into conversation a few nights ago that during the last couple of months we have been, for whatever reason, you know, I'm not sleeping. He's not sleeping. You know, he doesn't want to disturb me in case I'm sleeping. So he'll like be in the, in the living room and I'm in the bedroom because I'm working on something and I'll be asleep. And he said the other day, he goes, we haven't said, you know, and we'll like, you know, during the day, you know, I'll say, I love you. And I'll kiss him or, you know, walking by, you know, touch, touch him as I'm walking by. But we used to like, because our bodies are reacting differently to this. Mm-hmm. This being the pandemic. Being the pandemic. And that I, we were like talking, like, we're not falling asleep at the same time. We're not ending up in the bed at the same time. So we've not been saying, I love you at night. Mm. And we were like, and we were talking about like, wait, that's weird. So mm. now it's like, if I'm working on something and I know that he's watching, you know, Ozark. <laughs> Which, by, good show, by the way. Okay. Yeah, on, the, on the Netflix. You know, I'll walk in and go, okay, I might be asleep when you get in here, so I'm telling you I love you now. Mm. So, so that's, I think that's it. And, you know, it's very weird. I've been talking to a lot of couples about this, that a lot of people are saying they're getting along better with their partners and spouses than they have in a long time. Mm. I mean, because, like, you know, we, cause we fight. We have our arguments and disagreements. We've only had one in almost nine weeks. Wow. One. Go figure. And that was this past Monday. And what about with the children? Any cutesy goodbyes and I love yous? Um, my son calls me Nana and I call him Nunu. You <laughs> don't know when this started, when it happened. Um, he used to call me daddy, but daddy calls me uh, Nana. And then my daughter... This is the one thing, oh my God, this hurt and it hurts to this day. No, what happened? She said to me, can I ask you a question? I go, yes, of course. And she goes, can I start calling you dad and not daddy? <gasps> oh. Why? Oh, why? Did why. you ask why? I said, yes. I just said, of course you can. I don't, you know, that's, she feels that. And she loves saying dad. Oh, and she prefers dad over daddy. Dad over daddy. Oh, I love daddy. It broke my heart a little bit. Oh. So what'd you say? You were like, okay, sure, without asking why? 
I didn't want to ask why because I didn't want to make her feel that I, you know, her decision was less than. Yeah, I got you. I hear you. Michael, do you know why I asked you all these questions? Why is that? Because I end every episode of the podcast with my guest telling our listeners goodbye in that special way they say, tell their loved ones that goodbye. So it sounds like it's a little convoluted with you. So we have to say, I love you, dad. (laughs) As opposed to daddy or nana dad or nano daddy. All my nanas and nunus and daddies and dads and husbands (laughs) and friends and lovers. Oh, because I call my my listeners my lovers, my kitten, my puppies, and my schmoopies. We're just say kittens now after you know. Tiger King. I don't want. I haven't watched Tiger King, and I, and I'm actually it's a fuckery. I don't know that I want to get into. Do I need to get into it, Michael? It it's the ultimate fuckery. Oh no! I I I can't explain it. All I know is I came away with this sentiment. I'm glad there's no black people on this. I know. <laughs> That's what I keep hearing, which actually makes me go, I don't need to watch this. Oh, but it's one of those things where you go. Train the wreck. Time, the next time someone wants to say some shit. Can I say that word on this? Absolutely. Uh, dude, we say fuckery. Come on. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I know. I said, uh, I feel like. Every time someone says something racist, I'll actually just go, um, Tiger King. Boom. And just, uh, boom, Tiger King. <laughs> you want to talk dysfunctional and horrible? Tiger King. All right, listeners. I think this is a perfect segue. <laughs> Tiger King. Bye. Say bye-bye, Michael. Bye-bye, Michael. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> you know what okay, I mean. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> bye. Thank you for having me. Of course. Love you to pieces. Bye. Bye. Okay, maybe not. Why don't you hop on over to our Instagram page right now, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, and follow and see what our guests look like and all the fuckeries we get into over on Insta. Also, we now have a Facebook page, and everything is What the Fockery. So What the Fockery Twitter, What the Fockery Instagram, What the Fockery Facebook. You can't go wrong. You can even What the Fockery at gmail.com. Okay, now, officially, bye!